Well, good morning to each of you. I greet you in Jesus' name. Our Master, the one we have assembled here to, to worship. Appreciate the time we've had of singing and our Sunday school discussion. It's such a blessing to share together. I also would like to extend a special welcome to Nico and Rachel Sarah and their family, some friends that I have made the acquaintance of over the last just about a year, and I'll just briefly share that story with, with you, parts of it, but I grew some wheat last the other year um, as, a, as a hobby, uh, something I've been wanting to do for years, and just a very small plot of, of a food-grade wheat, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. We were going to make some bread and find what to do with it. Well, there's a, a lady that works for me a little bit here and there, and I, I gave her a bag of it. I said, here, find something to do with it. Share it around. You're a blessing to me. I want to bless you with this. Well, I don't know how long it was, a couple of weeks or a month or so later, and I got a call from this guy that said he was starting a bakery, and he had tried some of my wheat, and he wanted more of it. And it was interesting how Nico was on this journey of starting a, a bakery and how I was growing wheat and I helped provide his need and he helped use up something that I had and it's just been a, a good relationship and and I've appreciated getting to know Nico to a small degree and his, his love for the Lord and so we're glad they can be here with us this morning. This past Wednesday and Thursday was our, I don't know, is it considered the first session of the 51st annual Southeastern Mennonite Conference? Uh, we have a blessed privilege of being part of a, an organization, part of the organism of the body of Christ, but our, our group of churches has, has been a, a as it is to some degree or another for the past 50 years almost. And it was a good time of being together as, as brothers and, and discussing things and also the evening messages were uh, thought of very, very fitting challenges and things for us to think about. I will, I will summarize briefly some of the, of the, the evening some of, some of conference, um, many of you were here and many of you weren't. And Wednesday evening, Brother Joshua Good brought a, a very stirring message on the bondage of self. And if my fleshly desires control me, I am in bondage to self. And he referred to the passage there in, in 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it lists the a description of humanity in the last days. And that list begins with men shall be lovers of their own selves. And it ends with lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And I tell you, that just really marks so much of society. And if we're not careful, we can mark ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 is a, is a beautiful picture that looks at the change that's evidenced by the, by the children of God. 
I'd like to read that because it, it has so much here. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. Speaking of those who are, are saved, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's a picture of, of any and all of us in bondage to self. And it's past tense, praise the Lord. Because, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we see here this contrast of a person being controlled by their fleshly appetites and, the, and carnal mind. Here it says, fulfilling the desires, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Someone who's destined for judgment, the wrath of God. And that contrast is one who is now changed under the lordship of Christ and experiencing the grace of God. And that is, is manifest in a life of fruitful service. Brother Josh elaborated on numerous aspects of life that can be the controlling element that, re that uh, renders us bound, bound to self. A few of those were desire for wealth or an infatuation with the things of the world or perhaps it's worldly wisdom. Things that are appealing to the flesh. But these things really are deceptive. You know, so many times there's advertisements that make something that we know is sinful, but it puts a pretty picture. You know, the, the advertisements for alcohol don't show the crash on the way home. And as he said, you know, the, the advertise the billboards for the gentleman's club don't show the wife at home weeping. The destruction. Self, the bondage of self is so deceitful. One thing that really stuck out is he he referenced an article that someone wrote looking at Anabaptist slash Mennonite history. And the author said, you know, for the first 200 years, the Anabaptist movement was characterized by suffering. People that were persecuted and suffered for their faith. They were willing to bear that. The next 200 years, our people were known for their humility. Living a simple life of humility. And the question is, what would characterize the Anabaptist people in the last hundred years. 
someone had suggested the word self-indulgent. Because you know, when we want something, we really find a way to get it. And that's part of our culture's mentality, but too often I'm, I'm afraid it's part of my mentality. And that was a, a challenge. Self will get what it wants. On Thursday evening, we were blessed to hear here to be clearly shown from Scripture the, the blessed paradox of freedom that is experienced by becoming a slave of Christ. And the text was Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. On Thursday morning, Brother Keith Kreider shared a bit of history of the formation of conference. He looked at a passage in Job that, that speaks of looking to history, listening to what we can learn from the past. And in a nutshell, why this organization was formed, a segment of Virginia Conference known as the West Valley District could not continue the trajectory of the rest of conference. There was seemingly a, an, basically ignoring the rules and discipline and script, principles of scripture as well were just being, being glossed over. But something that Brother Keith said, uh, that faithfulness is not holding a line but holding to the head. And that is so true. You know, we can think that we have a way of doing things and that will be faithfulness. And it can, it can help. But true faithfulness is holding to Christ, our head. Times change, but Christ doesn't. Our business discussion, there were two things on the agenda. And these are kind of a, a spark, a step, a springboard for what I would like to, to share this morning. The first item that we looked at was a recommendation from the Tech and General Guidance Committee regarding reporting software for Internet-enabled devices. The concern is especially for the young and those that are weak and have fallen into, into sin because of these things. And it was stated that the goal is close relationships that offer encouragement, admonition, and accountability within the body. And this software is a tool that could enhance our, our efficacy or our being able to reach this goal. You know, if someone is accessing inappropriate content or they're wasting time, this could be a means of raising a flag that would initiate discussion. And, and we could admonish each other in that way. And it was decided that we would consider this further and, and encourage the use of, of this, this tool. But you know, over the years, we as a conference have discussed the Internet and its ramifications many times. And those of you that are not in leadership and don't come to conference have no idea the amount of hours that are sit, sat here discussing and discussing. How do we handle this? What is it? What do we do? 
we aren't quite sure what it is even and, and how we should handle it. And as I was, I was thinking about this, the, way, the different ways we, we view, I'll say the internet for simplicity, but the technology, the internet, some see it as simply a smelly rag that we want nothing to do with. Others view it perhaps more like a snake, that it's out there, it's subtle, and it will slip in and bite someone. So we have to be very careful. Others see it maybe more like a feral cat, that it's out there, it's, it's wild and dangerous, but it, ha- it catches mice, and so we need it around. And others, yet perhaps, is that faithful old dog that couldn't possibly hurt anyone. I don't think many of us are there. But those are different views. I think another problem is that for those of us that see danger in the use of the Internet, we aren't quite sure how to handle it. Because if it's a snake, you grab it by the tail and what happens? It curls up and it bites you. So you have to get it behind the head. What if it's a cat? I have, as a child, grabbed some pretty wild cats by the scruff of the neck, and I find, well, if I don't get them by the head, they will sink their sharp teeth into me. It's pretty sharp, and it hurts. But if you do grab them by the neck, their claws will sit there and rake you. You have to control both. And I guess some see that this tool may be a way to get another hand so you can get the neck and the feet. You know, I'd like to take a step back and think about how we relate to life, in the Internet in particular, but life in general. The the introductory paragraph of Article 1 of our, our little green book about the Christian life and discipleship and nonconformity, says, since the Christian is called to a life of discipleship, we counsel members to renew their commitments daily, to exercise themselves in pure religion, to walk in newness of life, and to give their bodies as living sacrifices to God, and to avoid being conformed to this world. And there's four or five scriptures references there. And I guess I want to encourage us today to renew our commitment to some of these things. To exercise pure religion, to walk in newness of life, to give our bodies as living sacrifices to God, and to avoid being conformed to the world. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Here, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments a second time. He had given to him once, and on his way down the mountain, he heard the commotion in the camp, and he broke all the Ten Commandments at once, as children like to say. And here God told him to, to bring, bring the 
two more tables, and he is, is giving him these commandments again. I'd like to, to break in here in verse 10 of chapter 34. It says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee, or an awesome thing, something marvelous. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of, the, of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. Notice what God is calling these people to. A careful separation. Turn to Joshua 23. A similar line of thought a good while later. Probably what we know is at least 40, 40 some years later. This is at the end of Joshua's tenure after wandering in the wilderness. And after, actually, this was after a fair bit of the conquest of Canaan. Joshua 23, beginning verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else, if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations before, from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. These two passages were a call for Israel to be separate from the worldly influence of the nations around them. The call here was for a lot for physical separation. Do not become part of these people. Separate yourselves from them. Because if you don't, there will be spiritual entanglement as well. And idolatry is the end result of most of that. Because these nations were, were worshiping false gods. And I, as I, I was thinking of the, the parallel that we have. We called from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are citizens of heaven. We are God's people. Are we taking heed to not be entangled in the traps that are around us? We are called to separation as well. It's a little bit more difficult. It's not... It's not quite like they were that just get rid of all these people and don't interact with them. Our call is a bit more nuanced. You know, in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16, 
Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, we are in the world. We must live here. We work to provide for our needs. But we have to not become entangled in the thought processes of the world. But you know, we have to work to provide. Brother Josh said that one of the, the, one of the big bondages of self is that is wealth. And I, I think for myself, you know, I don't want to be wealthy. I know that that's a trap. But I want to have enough and probably a little bit more than enough just to be safe. And then just a little extra for good measure would be nice, just, just in case. But see, where does that take? That's the world's mindset of having more and more and more. A very familiar passage in 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. In the New King James, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What am I loving? What am I pursuing? What am I drawn to? Who am I trying to impress? Am I doing the will of God? There's many passages in the the epistles that I read the one there in Ephesians 2, Colossians 3 is a beautiful one that I I don't think I will take the time to read right now. But it talks about where our focus is and and putting to death self and to put on the new man. Many of us have had the blessed privilege of growing up in a Christian setting. We have been taught right from wrong. We have been spared many of the traps that Satan has set because we have been warned. And it's truly a blessing from God that we have been spared from what we have. And yet often, perhaps we don't see ourselves for who we really are. Do we really see ourselves as that sinner that is lost? Someone has said, it this way, maybe when I come to Christ, I think he's getting a pretty good deal. He didn't have to clean me up as much as he did somebody else. He didn't have to forgive as much. And while I didn't commit fornication, my mind as a, as a lost person was impure. I wasn't a murderer, but I hated some people. And that's just as bad. I never set up an image and bowed down to it, but I know that I coveted many things. Do we see the fleeting system of the world for what it really is? 
And do we embrace the clear delineation between the flesh and the spirit? I have to think of of the world system. You know, it used to be that if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to go to a theater. None of us have been caught dead there. Well, then you could just rent it from the movie store. And I remember as a young man, young teenager, being in the, in the uh, acquaintance with a group of friends somewhere, one of them was talking about something, that some movie he had seen. And I knew that it was, I didn't know that much about it, but I gathered from the, the insinuations that it was, it was pretty ugly. And I knew that his parents did not know he was watching it. But he found a way to get and feed the flesh. But he had to work pretty hard to find it and do it because it wasn't as easy. And you know, now we don't have to go to the theater or rent it. You can stream anything from the privacy of your bedroom. I remember seeing an arcade gaming store in in a mall out in, in Minnesota. Then you had to to get the machine. You had to go there. You had to do it. You had to waste your time. You had to put your money in. Then you could get a, a gaming a game for your for your basement. But now I guess there's probably an app to do the same thing. Once you have to use to go to a bar or a casino to gamble. Now you just sit at your computer and pay with a credit card and bet with the click of your mouse. Maybe we need some more of those cats around. But so many of these things were developed to feed the lust of the flesh. These things were developed to feed carnality of humanity. And as I consider these things, It seems like many of these things have either gone underground or they have lost their stigma. What is stigma? The definition I found is an association of disgrace or public disapproval with something such as an action or condition or a visible indicator of disease. You know, some of these things we may not be actively involved in. I hope none of them. But there's so many things out there that we can waste time on, that we can can feed the flesh in some way or another, whether it's amusement or whether it's viewing improper material, whether it's wasting time. You know, I think either we don't recognize what some of these actions are for what they are, or we don't associate the disease with them anymore. Stigma, a visible indicator of disease. So I may think it's fine if I go online and and spend an hour watching a movie 
Do I, do, I, do I see the disease? Do I realize what it's doing to me? Have I lost the sensitivity? I don't know what your all situations are here, but I've heard in, the, in recent years of, of youth watching movies and doing it openly and blatantly, and there's no conscience against it. Even though it's been taught against, and even though they may be part of a church that has a clear delineation that it's not acceptable. Where's the conscience? Where's the stigma? Where's that? Where, why don't we understand? First Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, For ye were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How open am I to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Do I prayerfully consider what I do? If it doesn't seem too bad or if it feels good, then it must be okay. Is that my thought process? Just call us to think clearly and to think soberly. You were bought with a price. And maybe God did get a good deal on you, but is he getting a good return on his investment? You are bought with a price. Use your time. Use your talents. Use every moment to honor Him. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 to 19. Here, turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to every man's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Brothers and sisters, we are no longer ignorant. And if you are, get out your Bible and start reading. But maybe, like the children of Israel, we forget what we've been saved from. We forget the wages of sin. We forget the bondage. Isn't it incredible to think and consider the children of Israel, barely out of the promise, barely out of Egypt, on their way to the promised land, Barely out. And they said, we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what happened to Moses. Let's go back. They forgot the bondage. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we weren't in very, we, our bondage wasn't quite as rigorous as theirs was, per se, and we forget. Let's not forget. What we've been looking at 
is separation. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 8 to 17. And I've, I've mentioned this many times, I believe, in messages here, but the contrast and the epistles are full of them, and it's, it's just beautiful to think about, but sometimes it's hard to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need light. Light exposes what is good and what is evil. Christ will give us that light. We have to apply ourselves to know that light by the scriptures, to see what we're doing and to expose what we're thinking. See then as you walk circumspectly that you see what's going on. You understand the ramifications of what you're doing. If I recall, the three areas that were concerns were impure content, wasting time, and worldly entertainment that were, that were named. Most of us aren't going to go to impure content. Most of us can waste a lot of time. And most of us really like to be entertained. Do we, do we think about these things? Do we, do we see them for what they are? And sometimes it seems fairly, as the term innocuous, it's fairly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But there's things that will influence us and impact us. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. John Wesley had this to say, With all possible care, redeem the time. Saving all you can for the best purposes. Buying every possible moment out of the hands of sin and Satan. Out of the hands of sloth, ease, pleasure, worldly business, the more diligently because the present are evil days, days of the grossest ignorance, immorality, and profaneness. In our Sunday school class this morning, we didn't get to this, the last section very much at all. But as I was reading over that, I was impressed again with a verse that has stuck out to me and I don't, I don't know if I truly grasp how it should be applied in my life, what it really looks like, but Galatians 
It says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. By whom the world is crucified to me, it's made dead to me, and I unto the world. I am dead to the world. Because when I'm dead to the world and the world's dead to me, I'm not going to go pursue its pleasures. I'm not going to get wrapped up in its system. Do you need reporting software? Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17. For, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Are you experiencing its power? Are we separate from the world? Are we influenced? We must consider the subtle ways. We need the Holy Spirit filter. I'm going to move, shift gears briefly to the second thing that we discussed and it, it falls in line and if you wanted a title for this for this message perhaps it could be separation and consecration the second item on the agenda was that uh, it was a report from the officers of conference regarding their West Virginia their work or the West Virginia work uh, West Virginia district had asked for some input and so uh, the officers of conference went back and interviewed some people and brought some, some observations and ideas. The West Virginia District needs more leadership, and they had asked some advice on how to proceed. The main need is for committed workers in the small congregations. And the decision was made to support West Virginia moving ahead with ordination as they see fit and to continue to send short-term help for their services. Those, some of those congregations are so small that, well, the superintendent might have to lead songs and maybe teach Sunday school. And so send some short-term help and also to ask families to relocate and immerse themselves in the work there. As I pondered these items in the discussion, I thought about consecration. When I think of consecration, I think of the tabernacle and the priests the priests were called, they were set apart for a specific work. They couldn't do everything that everyone else did, and they couldn't go where everybody else did, and there were things they couldn't touch. They had a calling to fulfill. A, a modern definition of consecration that I found was the state of being consecrated, and what consecrated is is to be made or declared sacred. We think of holy being set apart. God is holy. He is set apart. 
And perhaps that's in this word consecration. We are called to be holy. As we read there in 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy. Set apart. These here definitions don't specifically speak of a, a task, but usually when something is set apart, it's for a reason. And, you know, the, the vessels of the temple were, were consecrated to be used just for those ceremonies of worship, etc., Ezekiel, excuse me, Exodus 19. I'll just reference verse 6 there. God is calling his people to the covenant. And he says, if you will obey my covenant, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God wanted that whole nation to realize their calling and their unique position that they would hold in the world. They were consecrated to God. In Leviticus 20, we see a a call to the people. He called them to to a separation. Um, I'm going to read a few verses. Verses 24 through 26 of Leviticus 20. It says, But I have said to you, ye shall inherit the land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by bird or by beast or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. It made a difference on how they lived. And what does 1 Peter 2, 9 say? We know that verse. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it goes on to say that you were not the people of God, now you're the people of God. Here's that delineation again of of change. And we're to abstain from fleshly lusts. And we're to have good works that other people can observe. I would like to consider two examples of men that God called and they answered that call. The first is that of Abraham. In Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to land that I will show you. That was a call of God on someone, and Abraham went. He consecrated himself. He didn't understand it all. In Hebrews 11, referring to Abraham, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I guess the challenge to myself is twofold. What am I waiting for? 
What am I looking for? What am I pursuing? And what would inhibit me from answering a call like Abraham received? What would inhibit you from a call like answering a call as Abraham did? The second example, and that is in Acts 13. Verses 1 to 4, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And they launched on their missionary journey. They were called. They were consecrated to work. And they were effective in their work. And I believe they were faithful. They were effective because they were faithful in ministry and in teaching at home first. You know, not everyone needed to go. God didn't call each of these brethren and everybody around them to go. But... He needed somebody to. And my challenge to, to each of us is, am I totally surrendered to the will of God and the call of God? It's different for different ones of us. You know, Brother Jeff experienced that call. And he said, yes, I'm willing. God may not call you to that, but God is calling you to something. In conclusion, may we with Isaiah of old, when he saw the glory of God and he heard the need of someone to serve, he said, here am I, send me. Are we consecrated to the work of the Lord? Are we willing to answer that call? Whatever it may be. The final two verses that I would like to read. They're a benediction. We use them as a benediction, and I basically I'm using them as a benediction here. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is my prayer for each of you, that you be complete in Christ, doing his will, working that which is well-pleasing in his sight, bringing him honor and glory. As someone mentioned this last week in our discussion, our goal is to please God. Not to find what's acceptable to God. Not to do what's acceptable, but what's pleasing. Do you make God's eyes sparkle?